Hey guys, real quick, before we get started, I have a small request. If you've been blessed by our content and you like this show, would you take just a brief moment and leave us a five-star review? This is quite possibly the most effective thing that you can do to ensure that this content gets out to as many people as possible. Thanks. All right, welcome back to another episode of Theology Applied. I am your host, Pastor Joel Webbin with Right Response Ministries. And in this episode, I'm very excited and privileged to have a welcoming back to the show, Pastor Doug Wilson in Moscow, Idaho, and we talk all things Christian nationalism. Uh, Christian nationalism has been under fire. Uh, you've got uh, kinism. You've got, you know, but basically people are saying, you know, a, a host of things. But one of the things is that Christian nationalism is just a placeholder, a euphemism, a religious euphemism for white nationalism. That's what we're talking about. Uh, can you be a Christian nationalist? Can you even define nation, ethnoid, these kinds of things? Without it being all about race, is Christian nationalism just an attempt for uh, Christians who are racist to have their utopian uh, view come to come to life, um, or is there something more here? And particularly, what we get at is Doug's his projections or, or predictions, rather, of what's going to happen with this movement. Is it going to blow up in our face? Uh, what's going to happen over the next five years? Tune in now. All right, all right, all right. Stop twisting my arm. I know you want to hear the inside scoop. Here it is. The glorious vision of Right Response Ministries for the first half of next year, 2023. We have not one, not two, but three massive endeavors that we will accomplish by the grace of of God. The first you already know about. It's our Theonomy and Postmillennialism Conference, May 5th, 6th, and 7th, with James White, Joe Boot, Gary DeMar, Dale Partridge, and yours truly, Pastor Joel Webbin. This is selling out incredibly fast. By the time this commercial airs, you may not even be able to get a ticket. I, I, I really don't know. So don't waste another moment. Go to rightresponseconference.com, rightresponseconference.com to join us for the Theonomy and Postmillennialism Conference next year. Now, this is where you come in. We need your help. Our next two endeavors are number one, a documentary style film, and number two, a brand new studio. Both of these things are seeking to accomplish one primary goal, which is excellent high-quality, glorious Christian media. We are tired of, of, as Christians, doing things poorly. We've done our best with what we have, but by God's grace, we want to do even better. This is not going to be just another video. This is not going to be a sermon or an interview or a podcast, but we're going to make a documentary-style film, and we're going to be hiring Nathan Anderson, the director of On Earth As It Is In Heaven, a very, very successful post-millennialism documentary that's on Amazon and YouTube, came out a couple years ago. He's going to be flying in from Chile to help us direct this film. And our documentary is going to be on post-millennialism and theonomy, why it's biblically valid, why it's absolutely necessary, and why, by the grace of God, theonomy and post-millennialism are currently on the rise. So we're going to make this film, and we need your support. And not just this film, but we're going to make all of our videos and podcasting and everything we do here at Right Response Ministries better. We want to achieve the highest level of quality and Christian excellence that we possibly can. That's where the new studio comes in. This new film, our, our date that we're shooting for is that it would be complete and publicly available in May or June of 2023, next year. The studio, our goal is that it would be completely done in its construction and the equipment and the setup and the stage and everything 
by January, February of 2023 next year. We need your prayers. We need your encouragement. And for those of you who are willing to do so, we need your generous support. You can give towards these endeavors by going to rightresponseministries.com forward slash donate. Again, that's rightresponseministries.com forward slash donate. Thank you so much for all your help. God bless. Applying God's word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. All right, welcome to another episode of Theology Applied. I am your host, Pastor Joel Webin with Right Response Ministries. In this episode, I am very privileged to welcome back for the 17th time, not quite that many, but uh, certainly a regular guest, Pastor Doug Wilson. Wilson, thank you for joining us. Hey. Good to yeah, see glad you. Glad to be here. So we, we are, as yeah. we're recording, it's December 1st, so you've just rounded out uh, the month of November, which is not just NQN, but NQNQ, because it's the Q. fifth time. Right. And so um, yeah. I keep wondering, you know, what is he going to burn down next? Um, you know, I mean, at this point, yeah, we, are, we wonder the same thing. <laughs> right. Hopefully, hopefully not a church. You know, I feel like that might, you know, kind of cast the wrong message unless yeah, it was. You know, yeah. Unless it was a rainbow flag, you know, flying church. And, you know, maybe you could get away with it. But yeah. um, all that being said, I, I don't know if you're prepared to share this information. I know you guys want to drop it first. And, and this episode wouldn't drop for a couple of weeks, but can you give me a general idea? Because one of the things I love that you do is after November, you give us an update of God's providence and his grace and how much reach, you know, Canon and blog and may blog and those kind of, are there any sneak peeks that you can give us? Uh, yeah, we haven't, we're, we've got to assemble the data. Um, but I just checked this morning. Uh, we give away books, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, Canon gives away a boatload of books, and I give away books, ebooks from my uh, website. And I just uh, checked this morning, and um, I gave away between six and 7,000 books. Wow. Uh, How and, does that compare with last year? Um, I haven't looked at last year, okay. but I know that Canon Press, uh, their giveaways early in the month were at least double uh, last year. So wow. it really ex exploded. So we've given away uh, over November with Mayblog and Canon Press, we've given away tens of thousands of books. Wow. Praise God. Man, I, I feel like, so I've got the, you know, the Canon app. Most of the guys and gals in our church have it also. And, you know, Christians always do things and it's like, I, you know, um, I think Jeremy Boring from Daily Wire said it, um, you know, but like usually conservatives and Christians, they, uh, the four B's, they get beat, they bemoan, that's kind of the charitable, he uses a different B, but they get beat, they bemoan, um, and then they uh, boycott, you know, but people want you know, entertainment, they want coffee, they, you know, so boycott usually lasts, you know, a fortnight, and then they uh, beg for donations. And I feel like Christians are notorious for that. Um, and I was going to get the Canon app just, if nothing else, just to support, you know, the ministry. And I, I can honestly say uh, that I feel like I'm getting more than an $8 a month value. Like it, you guys put to, together something that's really remarkable. Good. So well done. That, that fourth, that fourth B or maybe the second one ought to be built. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say is scratch all four of those Bs. Well, uh, some, most of them. And then, yeah, the fifth B should, yeah, built. And that's what you're built. doing. Yep. Praise God. Okay. So this is what I wanted to ask you. I gave you a little bit of a heads up before we hit record, um, but Christian nationalism, 
I, I love the yeah. way that you've defined it uh, and just saying that there are, are technically six categories if we, if we look at you know the, the tribalism, nationalism, globalism on, on the one hand, and then over here, uh, Christian or not Christian. And you've kind of you know yeah. pieced in as a primary example, secularism, you know, hu you know right. secular humanism. Um, right. uh, so, so if those are, you know, then, then we have six categories, Christian, you know, tribalism or secular tribalism and, and on and on, nationalism and globalism. Right. And when you put it like that, it's just like, okay, what, what Christian is not a Christian nationalist, right? right? You know, so it's like, so in that sense, I'm like, yeah, I'm a Christian nationalist. I don't agree with everything with Wolf, and I know that you don't either, right? He's more Thomistic, right. um, whereas I always, you know, natural revelation, natural law, yes and amen. Um, but I also, you know, the, maybe it's the Van Til that in me, but I, I always want to remind people, but God wrote a book, and we, and we can yeah. use the book, you know, and so... So right. I, you know, so there's some distinctions there, but but I I really think that this Christian nationalism thing, if it's gonna have any, you know, it, call it mere Christendom, uh, call it whatever you want, but just that the civil magistrate um, submits to Christ. No separation between Christ and state. Church and state is different right. than, and so yes and amen. The nations are Christ's inheritance. They must be Christian. And that's got to be a big tent. And so if some Thomists want to get on, uh, hop on with that, praise God, and we can have a debate later on. Um, so I'm grateful for uh, Stephen Wolf and talk to him offline some and, and grateful for what he's doing. But I feel like, um, and I know you're aware of this, it seems like there are some very, very large potential pitfalls Guys want right. to, they want to make Christian nationalism. The guys who don't like it, they want to make it white Christian nationalism. They want to tie it in right. with, with the kinist. And you did a good job saying, you guys think that you're leading the charge, but you're the soft underbelly. Right. Uh, you, and, and, uh, and, and so what, what is your prediction um, in terms of what, what is, is Christian nationalism just going to blow up in our face? Is, are we all going to have egg on our face and regret using yeah. that title? What's going to happen in the next two, three, four, five years? Yeah. So, Supposing that it does blow up, and supposing that we do have egg on our face, those six options remain the six options. Right. Right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we get embarrassed or not. Those are the options. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what I'd like to do um, in response to this is sort of maybe shift the metaphor that we use on, on getting from here to there, because I think a lot of people freak out because they have the wrong metaphor running in their head. And then uh, talk about what I think the uh, challenge of kinism and things like that uh, present to us. So uh, when uh, conservatives, Burkean conservatives like myself, are suspicious of ideology, uh, an ideologue is someone who's got the whole thing mapped out and give them the plans, give them a flag and a direction to march and a gun to shoot, and he's going to go try to implement that ideology, mm -hmm. okay? Um, the problem, the, the essential difference between a reformer and a revolutionary is patience. Mm -hmm. A reformer is patient, revolutionary is always impatient, and revolutionaries are always ideologues. Mm -hmm. But in order to abstain from ideology, it's not necessary to have no idea where you're going or no idea of what the ideal society ought to be. It's the presence of patience, not the absence of a plan. That's good. That's good. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so here's the metaphor that I think a lot of people stumble over. We we're, let's say we're talking with different people about our ideal society. Mm -hmm. The temptation is to think that we're going into a restaurant 
and we're sitting down and ordering off the menu. Uh, and if I persuade my, hey, come on, let's get the steak or come on, let's get the, um, let's get the pasta. And, and we think that when we order it, then it's going to come out of the kitchen hot and ready to go and be placed on the table in front of us. And everybody's talking as though Christian, a Christian nation is going to arrive straight out of the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but we, we have the challenging problem of getting from here to there. Yeah. Right. And so I want to shift the metaphor. I want us to say, we're not sitting at a table in a restaurant preparing to order off the menu. Rather we're, we're cooks in the kitchen standing around the pot and the pot is full of chicken curry. And the Lord has told us in the great commission that when we're done, he wants the pot to be full of beef stroganoff. Mm. (laughs) Okay. Now how uh, some miracles have to, there have to be some remarkable things happen here in order for this to happen. But when I'm looking at this and I, let's say with the various differences I've got with Stephen Wolf, when I look at what he's talking about, I'm asking myself, is this a, is this a step or two closer to beef stroganoff right. than, than what we have now? Yes, it is. Okay. It, it manifestly is. All right. It's a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Now, we can adjust sauces and we can adjust ingredients down the road, but this is a, uh, this is a step in the right direction. And... The other cooks standing around the pot, some of them want to put arsenic in, the, in it. Some, <laughs> some of them want to uh, fill it up with water. You know, they've got all these competing things. And I'm saying, no, I'm, I'm with Steven so far as it goes. This, let's go this direction. What some of them okay. want to do is they want to say, Doug, um, if you weren't so racist, you would appreciate the curry. It's an ethnic <laughs> dish. You want the yeah. beef stroganoff because it's a white, bland dish. <laughs> That's what yeah. they're going to say. Yeah. So I'm going to have to fix my metaphor. Yeah, you're going to have to fix the metaphor. It's not going to work. I'm going to have to go go from beef, beef stroganoff to well, actually, I need to have beef stew, like or Irish stew, or something like that. Yeah, there you go. Something from the UK, and we go to go toward curry. Exactly. And then everyone everyone will see that I'm not a racist. There you and go. They, they will, and they will apologize. Right. That's right. Um, so, having said that, that means that when you if I'm if I make a decision to go in the direction of what I think will result in a better society 150 years from now, there really is room for discussion and debate. There's also room for the unreasonable types to get in there and discuss and debate. Hmm. Okay. And so we have to walk in wisdom and keep certain people away from the spices. (laughs) Right. Okay. And, uh, and this is where it gets down to the practical um, uh, issues, I, I believe that we have to keep um, three categories, kinist adjacent, soft kinist, and hard kinist. Okay. okay? Um, and a hard kinist would be what in the popular par- parlance is a racist. Mm-hmm. So a hard kinist would be a racist. I don't like using the term racist. I used to um, until I, I spent a lot of time working through this, and I don't see race as a biblical category. Right. I see kin, tribes, languages, ethnicities, that absolutely is a biblical category. But race, as in Caucasian, um, Asian, uh, I don't see that as a biblical category. That's 
that's something that we um, talk to medical doctors or or um, biologists about. Okay, that we that's not <coughs> not a biblical category. Okay. So I want to talk in terms of ethnicity, right? And and when it comes to ethnicity, the New Testament is filled with references to in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave free. Um, and so on. Now, Stephen is absolutely right that the fall did not alter basic human relationships. Uh, it's not uh, Adam and Eve after the fall were still married. Mm-hmm. Again, they didn't have to get married again in a in a post lapsarian world. Right. They were married before. They're married after. Uh, the children that they have, if they had had unfallen children, the children would have been children, <laughs> right? Right. Um, brought up and nursed by Adam and Eve, uh, nursed by Eve and brought up by Adam. Um, and after the fall, that's what happened. So the natural relations at that level like that are sort of a constant. But idolatry, because of the fall, idolatry comes in. Okay, so how do you... Uh, how do you, for example, uh, thread the needle that Stephen wants us to thread and that I want to thread of respecting and honoring your natural relations out past your grandparents, mm. okay, uh, your, your clan, your tribe, especially in an unfallen world where nobody's dying, mm-hmm. right. right? You can go visit your great, 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 great grandma. And uh, so you've got that situation. Um, that's one thing. And I'm with Stephen completely in his definition of that. But in a fallen world, let's say you are trying to get from the curry to the stroganoff in a Confucian country mm. uh, where respect for your parents is all tied up with ancestor worship. Right. Okay. Um, you, and if you if you suddenly decide I'm not going to I'm not going to worship my ancestors anymore. Uh, and this was uh, my mom was a missionary in Japan, and this was a big issue in Japan. If a young person converts to Christianity and stops worshiping ancestors, there is absolutely no way for that to register in any other way than disrespect for his parents. Mm. Okay, so there's got to be a clash or a revolution or some sort of showdown uh, at this. There's a dis. So when we're getting from curry to stroganoff in the kitchen, at some point there's going to be a fight, mm-hmm. right? At some right. point there's going to be persecution. At some point it's going to be disruptive, and that's why Jesus says, "Who you can't be my disciple if you love father, mother, wife, sister, brother." children more than me you can't be my disciple that and so that's a um, non-negotiable of christian discipleship right right and so i i believe that the danger is because of the woke um jihad mm-hmm. where uh people uh people of my background ethnic makeup white anglo-saxon protestant or middle class um or hillbilly elegy material, people people like that have been vilified 
for a few decades now. Yes. yes. And because the church large the church at large the reformed evangelical church at large has gone limp on this mm-hmm. the people the people in that um category feel manifestly unprotected and they start listening to alternative voices who can give them an explanation for this treatment that they're getting and instruction on how to respond mm-hmm. and there are different shades of red pill <laughs> Right, right. Uh, some deep, some red pills are really, really red, and some red pills are just slightly pink. Right. But there are there are a lot of people who are now in a position where they are listening to kinists, and as much as I repudiate the kinist take, my foundational accusation for the existence of kinism lies with the soft left, the soft woke evangelical left they're the ones who created this yes 100 percent. yep i i completely agree um and and we see that i mean we've seen that in real time with thomas accord right which was just a hit on stephen wolf um you know and it's and it's sad what happened to him and yet at the same time it's also um that's why we have to have self-control um and right. And just as a practical tip, um, one of the guys in my church, as we were talking about the situation, he said, it's a good time to remember that burner accounts are meant to eventually be burned. Um, you, you, know, you, wanna, you wanna get rid of those from time to time. I, I'm not against the pseudonyms. I mean, we have a rich history you know, w- within the American tradition and, and beyond you know, writing under a pseudonym, but it has bit quite a few um, Christians in the, in the butt. I, th- I think of you know, even Driscoll. Um, I think he went under the, the pseudonym William Wallace II and got in quite a bit of trouble. Um, but all that being said, um, you know, it's, it's this hit on, on Stephen Wolf, which by proxy, that's also a hit on canon. And, and it usually right. comes ahead with, um, with Voldemort, you know, he who should not be named, <laughs> yours, yours truly. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, so that, that's kind of the, the play um, but isn't it remarkable? And you, you mentioned this, and, and some other guys that I've been talking to, you know, who had a relationship with Thomas, you know, and um, talking to offline. They, they, you know, they they're not condoning uh, racism, but they are, you know, sympathetic and compassionate, um, and the, the way that a, you know, right way that a Christian should be. And saying, isn't it remarkable how there's there's so much compassion for uh, sodomy, uh, but there's zero compassion for for um, you know kinism and racism right. and you know and and i i think that uh right now that you're right i think the overton window is is moving i, I keep thinking about you particularly because um the overton window is moving in such a way some some things you know all of it in god's providence and some things um good and then some things bad it's it's you know a reaction an overreaction and and coming mm-hmm. out of spite and vengeance um, but if that if this continues to happen, um, I, I think that you have a real potential of uh, b- being viewed as a moderate. You know that reasonable. You could be viewed as a reasonable evangelical uh, within the next you know five to ten years. So um, I know that, that's the kind of thing that makes me wake up screaming. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing that keeps but, you up at night. But I've actually seen that. I've I've seen that uh, starting to develop, and yeah. and it, there's a certain area there's a certain respect in which i want that to be the case so um let's say things get somebody once said about an ethnic war uh there's one one thing about an ethnic war you don't have to pick sides uh the other side does that for you mm-hmm. okay you you don't have basically the uh, when things come down to the point you can't 
take your own personal opinions about whether any of this should have happened. And then because of those opinions, walk through a part of a city that is dominated by uh, a group that is at war with people who look like you. Right. Um, you, you don't have that luxury. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now you, you should have your own thought through opinions, but you should also be aware of what's going on in the world outside you. Mm-hmm. Now I've wanted to, I've wanted to position myself and conduct myself in such a way that when we, if we ever get to the point where someone says, Hey, can we have peace? Can we have some peace talks? Okay. Mm-hmm. Who should we talk? Who should we talk to on the other side? I want to be the kind of person that they would say, Wilson is prepared to be reasonable. Mm-hmm. Now being, being reasonable doesn't, should not mean being compromised, right. but there's a difference between combatants who are fire eaters who they, they all they want to do is fight and combatants who understand the principle and who, you know, I would say um, be the difference between Nathan Bedford Forrest and Robert E. Lee. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you, you've got, um, I, I want to be the sort of person that when peace is possible without compromise, I'm willing to talk about it because I haven't lost my temper. Right, right. Um, there are some people, especially in the aftermath of the Accord thing, some people online who just lost their temper, mm-hmm. and um, on and both people, on both sides, on both sides. Yeah, and I don't think it. I don't think we're helping anything when we lose our tempers. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. So, I, all that being said, I've got two ideas I want to run by you and just and just get your. Response. So the the first one, in line of what we're talking about, you know, the uh, dangers of being a hard kinist and those kinds of like, yes, we of course natural affections are a thing. I love my wife more than other people's wives, and if I didn't, I'd be in sin. You know, I love my children more than my neighbor's children, and so the, and so on and so forth. And and the question is, how many ripples out can you know circles out can we go? You know, and um, but there, there you know, there's something to be said for Romans nine with the Apostle Paul. You know, I'd be willing to go to hell, which I I don't know if I could say for anybody personally, um, I'm a little bit uh, self-preserving in in, in that regard, but you know, he's willing to go to hell for his kinsmen, according to the flesh, uh, his fellow Israelites. And so there's something to be said there. But when I think of Christian nationalism working, I think one of the reasons why the kinist conversation keeps coming up is people, it's almost in some ways easier to define. This is what I've bumped up against as I've been talking to people, you know, in this orbit, it's almost easier to define Christian uh, than, than nation. Um, and, and so some guys are wanting that ethnoi to, to wrap it around ethnicity, whereas, whereas I feel, um, and, and, and I was looking at that and saying, well, maybe they have a point, you know, and really trying to consider that um, and give it a fair shake. But, but what I've landed on is I, I think part of the problem with America is just, you know, well, decadence, you know, you, you track uh, empires, the fate of empires and decadence, and it leads to altruism at, at a hyper level where you basically have a death wish. You're, you become suicidal. Everyone else can succeed except for us, self-loathing. Uh, it's, it's riddled in guilt rather than Christian gratitude for the blessings of God. You feel guilty for the blessings of God. But all that wrapped in into what I think of as not the melting pot of multiple ethnicities in our nation, but just the the extreme amount of immigration. I, I feel like you can have 20% of the nation that's white and black and 20, you know, 20% that's white, 20% that's black, brown, and so on. Um, and and if we just limited, you know, no illegal immigration, and then even with 
uh, legal immigration, it's vastly limited, and you just let 30 years go by, uh, or, or let's say 50, to where um, my grandkids, um, they're like, yeah, we, we um, grand, grandma and grandpa, they, you know, or grandpa, he fought the same wars, they worked in the same jobs, they went to the same churches, um, and we're, we're American, we have this shared history, this sh- and, and right. that would be enough. Do, do you, right. I don't feel like it, it needs to all be white or it needs to all be, I think it just, it's that shared history. It needs time. It can be different yeah. pigment, but, but there, it does need to be a similar culture. There's a commonality of not skin pigment, uh, pigment, not color, but culture. And, and part of, for that to happen, um, re- requires a, um, it's a stableness within it. And we're just so unstable right now with influx of, do you feel like that's that? That's maybe- a, that's, that is absolutely the case. Okay. So um, one of the things that this is another um, we, we're not our part of our problem is that we think in simplistic categories. So, for example, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Jew. He was a citizen of Tarsus, no mean city, and he was a Roman citizen. Right. Now, those are very different layers of allegiance. Mm-hmm. Paul was w- willing to use his Roman citizenship. He knew his rights, mm-hmm. in other words. He was, he was up on basic Roman civics. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, there seems to be a little measure of cavelling or uh, about his um, city, Tarsus, mm-hmm. which was in Cilicia. And he was a Jew of Jews, circumcised on the eighth right. day. So uh, when we look at, uh, when people talk about nationalism or kinism, everybody thinks immediately that it's a mono-ethnic nation like Japan is. Okay, so Japan is overwhelmingly one ethnicity. Right. and And people think, well, if you're talking about that, then that's what you've got in mind for America. You you want to exclude everybody who who doesn't fit um, your particular DNA imprint. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, I talked to Stephen Wolf about this, and he agreed with me that America Americans are an ethne. We we have a shared cultural history, language, cuisine, sports teams history, wars our dads and granddads fought in, you know, that's that's part of what uh, brings us all together. That sort of thing can form and can have a, uh, a profound um, tie or a profound claim on people's allegiance. What, but what disrupts it is if you uh, bring in immigrants like a flood, mm-hmm. You know, at a rate far more uh, rapidly than can be assimilated. Right. So, so the um, the issue is not whether a family, a white family, for example, can adopt a black child. Mm-hmm. They mo- they most certainly can, uh, or adopt a Mexican child. They can, and God bless them when they bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, this is great. But if they adopted. 150 Mexican children, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Then they are not going to do a good job with anybody. Mm-hmm. 
they're not going to do a good job with their own kids. They're not going to do a job, a good job with the kids that they've brought in. They're just going to be swamped. They're going to do a terrible job and the whole thing's going to blow apart. Yes. And, and so the issue is, uh, so when I say that, uh, well, we need to have control of our borders. It's not because I want to keep people out. It's because I want to, um, make sure that we have a judicious handling of this so that we can bless the maximum amount of people. Mm -hmm. So if, if we should want, we should be a welcoming nation and we should, I think be America is a mutt nation, right? Uh, right. Uh, we're not monoethnic like the Japanese or the Swedes. Mm -hmm. We are from all over. Yep. And that's part of our, Ethnicity, that's part of our melting pot identity. Right. But the pot has got to stay hot enough to melt things. Mm. <laughs> right. If uh, right now we're just making us a, uh, a salad with croutons from all over mm. and uh, <laughs> it's right. not, it's going to be only croutons and it's not going to be a very good salad. Right. we got to get back to the soup and now we need the stroganoff. Yeah. Right, yeah, we, you right. could, we need to focus on food. Whatever we right. do, whatever it is, this whole thing is and it needs to be a do. hot dish. It needs to be a hot dish right. with a with a ladle that we're starting to get. No, that I, that's very helpful. I completely agree. Um, and I think we need people. You know, so give us your tired. Give us your. You know, um, I think there's 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 something true in that. But I think there's also um, America needs to be for America. And and if America hates America, it's 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 what you've said. You know, a guy who says you know on Mother's Day goes and buys a car that you know my mom's the best mom in the world. That guy has a better understanding when other people appreciate their mom than the guy who says my mom's the worst mom in the world. Um, that guy's not going to respect anybody's mom. And so America needs right. to be for America, and that's the best chance that America has in being a benevolent nation, not a global empire necessarily policing you know the world or or as you've said that you know the coast guard uh global coast guard for the world um those days may be over and that may be in god's providence a good thing but but america should still be benevolent towards other nations whether it rules them with an iron fist and and that's Correct. only going to happen by stemming from america loving america and so we want people who come in um to not just want to live here but want to love here they don't just want to live in America, but they actually want to love America. I feel like, for instance, so we, we have multiple families in our church all the way down in Georgetown, Texas, um, from Canada that have recently, you know, come over here because Canada has turned into, it's just, you know, Trudeau yep. has lost his ever-loving mind, and we're happy to have him. Um, and these are people who still love Canada. Um, yeah. But but they also are working on um, you know developing a, a love and affection for America, not just benefiting from it, but wanting to be a blessing to this place and, and wanting to form an identity with this place and and um, and so I think people who who love America, having you know a mitigated amount of people who are coming in that actually want to be Americans, not just reap the benefits, but they want to be Americans. Um, they want our history to become their history and their grandchildren's history. And and I think you do that, and I mean, easier said than done, but problem solved. I, I think that that's a big, big part of it. So here's the second thing I want to run by you. Um, I think a lot of people with the Christian nationalism thing, so the six categories that, that you've coined is super helpful. Uh, because I think that the reason why it's helpful is it's um, it's it's uh, it's a compelling argument. It forces people to you know to actually you know to you know pretty much everybody has to say okay, mm -hmm. well, I'm in this category. So with that, you know, but brass tacks practically, what does it look like to be 
a Christian nationalist. And I've been thinking about that. And I think whether you get to it through natural law and, and the Thomism or, or, or whether Thomism or whether you get there from a Vantillian, Greg Bonson, uh, as you've said, a general equity theonomy, um, in both instances, it seems like uh, what we're advocating for is not just the second table of the law, but all Ten Commandments, uh, the, the, the civil magistrate, um, it, Christ is head of all things, uh, Ephesians one twenty two. He's uniquely head of the church in the sense that the church is the only thing that Christ has died for, but he is head not all, exclusively, so uniquely head of the church, not exclusively head of the church, head of all things, including the state, uh, separation between uh church and state, but not Christ and state. Caesar is God's deacon. Um, he needs to legislate and, and uphold all 10 commandments, not just the second table, but first also. But then you bring in, that's, that's the theonomy, um, and you bring in the post-millennialism, hurry up and wait. And, and you said something that I think bears repeating, uh, that the state should, should perhaps obey the first table of the law for 200 years before it enforces it. Um, yeah. I thought that was so insightful, and and that's what I mean when I say Christian nationalism. I'm not, we're not talking about rounding people up who are idolaters um, in the next 15 minutes, and and even 200 years from now, I think also another thing that you've said is a clear distinction between crimes and sins. So even then, uh, there's 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 not this going breaking into someone's home because of their their private Islam uh, worship, but but there is something to be said for public expressions, high places in a nation, and again after a couple centuries, um, and, and before, even then, at that level, before the mosque is under question, wouldn't it be the, uh, the public teaching of atheism to our children in state schools through evolution, that that high place would come down first? And, am right. I on the right track? Anything you would add to that? Yeah. Abs this is absolutely uh, right. Um, and the issue is not whether or not we want a society to be conforming to the Ten Commandments. Live and living under the blessing of the living under Deuteronomic blessings, right? Because we're walking under the favor of God and obeying His law. But we have to always remember, and this is the point you touched on. We have to always remember that when we are talking about suppression of blasphemy, mm -hmm. I would say the first order of business is to suppress the magistrate's ability to blaspheme. Amen. Because in in history. The state, the king, the the ruling authorities have overwhelmingly um, used blasphemy codes to impose their blasphemy, mm -hmm. and so we have to fix that problem. Right. Now, at some point, let's say we um, uh, postulate some ideal Christian republic uh, five hundred years down the road, and some um, atheist loses his mind and and goes down to the town square and starts blaspheming the name of God and the mother of Jesus. And, you know, just, uh, should he be scooped up and taken in? Well, yeah, I think that there are, um, places for the prosecution of blasphemy on that mm -hmm. level. But we have to remember that Jesus was executed on a blasphemy charge, mm. right? right. Uh, that was, and that was the greatest blasphemy that our race has ever committed. Mm. And we did it in the name of um, enforcing the, the law of God. Yeah, we, we committed law. the greatest blasphemy ever by silencing blasphemy. Right, yeah. by quote-unquote silencing blasphemy. And I want to say, okay, let's fix that problem 
first. Mm-hmm. Let's let's ha- and that means limited government. Mm. Okay, so uh, if you if you gave a Martian a copy of the U.S. Constitution, one of the and he read it, read it, reread it. One of the things he would come away with, uh, and we talked to him afterwards, and we said, "What's the central takeaway message that mm. you you have from reading our founding document?" He would say, "The central takeaway message is never trust an American." right never try and and particularly never trust an american politician with power right all right that's why that's why the separation of powers that's why the checks and balances uh we have a our our system was a genius system for spreading the power as thinly as possible Mm -hmm. okay now it's true that if you remove from the state the power to blaspheme they might not be able to handle the occasional rogue blasphemer out here. Right. But we've got the Christopher Dawson said the Christian church lives in the light of eternity and can afford to be patient. Mm-hmm. And we're post-millennial. We want to be patient. Right. And so as we are making our way toward this better society, we want a society in which blasphemy is not tolerated by anybody. Right. Particularly by the state. Right. Amen. And, and to follow up with that. So it's, you know, it's all, all 10 commandments, uh, but hurry up and wait. Let's, uh, let's have the state obey the first table of the law before it enforces the table, uh, second, first table of the law, uh, distinction between sins and crimes. Um, it's more so public expressions. And again, with, with this waiting patience, um, public expressions of blasphemy and idolatry. And then the only other thing I wanted to add to that, that I've also heard you and others, Durbin, um, say that I think also is helpful for people when they're thinking, what what would Christian nationalism, what is this dystopian going to look like, um, uh, dystopia? Uh, there's also, in terms of case law, um, so homosexuality, for, for instance, uh, and the death penalty. Um, so so $5,000 fine and... Uh, and um, five years in prison as a maximum for throwing a candy bar wrapper out my window. But I don't know anyone who's been in jail for five years for littering. Right. Right. Um, And so um, I think, could could you, could you talk about that a little bit in terms of looking at, at the civil codes given to Israel and knowing that that we hold to the general equity and that's a thoroughly reformed confessional that's Westminster. It's 1689 on my end of things. Um, So it's, it's, it's not a one-step process that you take the civil codes in Israel and you just carry them over and drop them in America in 2022. Uh, But it's a two-step process. It's not that hard. You, you, you take the civil code and you take it not to America, but you take it first back to the 10 commandments as the blueprint, the moral law of God that that ultimately is stemming to these codes. And then you apply that given culture and technology and these kinds of things. in America, and and then even then, looking at the penalties now, not the codes, but the penalties for breaking the codes, viewing these with within a maximum penalty mindset. Uh, could you talk about that for a moment? Yeah. So the w- when we talk about um, biblical law, we have to say it's not just when people think theonomy, they think that we're going to get a big crane, lift the Mosaic code, and carry you know bring it over and drop it down on. 21st century America. Right. Uh, no, that's not how it works mm-hmm. because we're not just we're taking the content of the laws. We are imitating and taking over the entire legal system. Okay. So uh, the law of Moses was a case law system, right? It right. was a common, our name for it is common law. Mm-hmm. All right. So 
uh, case law system means that you have a particular law that embodies a principle. You shall not muzzle the ox when it treads out the corn. Mm-hmm. Okay. And every uh, pastor and, likes the general equity of that. Right, right. <laughs> and and that's what Paul is applying in the New Testament is the general equity of right. that. Exactly. A, a laborer is worthy of his hire. Now, what happens is if I'm, um, if I'm, my joke is if I were president, then what a glorious three days that would be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, but if I had the authority to make law, I would not um, make it illegal in the state of Idaho to boil a kid in its mother's milk. Mm-hmm. And a kid being right. a baby goat, not a not a kid. <laughs> yeah, a, a kid right. being a baby goat. Right. Yeah. Just, to, um, just I wouldn't clarify. do that. I wouldn't do that. The reason I wouldn't make that against the law is because nobody's doing that. Right. It's it's not an issue. It was an issue back in the day. But what's the principle? What's the general equity of that law? Well, you shall not take that which was given by God as nourishment and life, mm-hmm. and turn it into an instrument of death. That's right. So it was lawful to take the baby goat and kill it and eat it. Mm-hmm. That was lawful. But you could not liturgically or ritually take his lifeblood, his, his nourishment, his milk, and make that the instrument of death. Right. You can't do that. So let's say I'm a Christian judge in a theonomic republic, mm-hmm. uh, and I hand down a decision that prohibits women from serving in combat roles. Okay, I could hand down a decision, and because it's a theonomic republic, I could say, no, women are not to serve in combat roles, and then cite the, the reference from Exodus, I think it's in Deuteronomy also, you shall not boil a kid in his mother's milk. Mm. Why? Because women are life givers. Right. Do not turn life givers into death dealers. Mm. Okay, so, and that's, that's also why a lot of the warrior princess uh, spy deadly female is kinky um, it's kinky that way they're trying to turn nurturers women life givers into death dealers Mm. and uh and so that's the general equity of it now when you do this what king alfred did uh king alfred took basically the laws of deuteronomy and made them the laws of england Mm -hmm. and that was that worked because England was an agrarian society, much like uh, Israel was. Mm -hmm. But that was the beginning of our common law system. And so common law doesn't require you to have something on the books that uh, we, again, I wouldn't make a law saying you have to have a parapet around the roof of your house. Right. Because in our society, nobody goes up there. Right. And every two-story structure, a.k.a. a balcony, we do it. We already yeah, do it. Correct. And if you didn't do it, and one of your dinner guests fell off a second-story deck, mm-hmm. then you should be liable at law for the damages. And I would have no problem as a judge citing the Scripture. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. So the, the Scripture is authoritative. Because, that, because that is, that's because a common law system or a case law system is a system that's based on precedent. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in Alfred's time, let's say a widow in Sus- Sussex had a case where the neighbor's dog ate her chicken, and it went to court, and the and the case was decided. And then fifty years later, someone's ox gored the neighbor's dog. The judge in that case would look back at the precedent 
and he would see the principle, he would see the general equity of the previous decision and apply it in this new situation, mm -hmm. as opposed to the secularist who wants to have a, a volume, bound volumes of regulations that anticipate every contingency. And if they didn't anticipate it properly and you found the loophole, you're, you're off scot-free mm -hmm. because they're trying to be omniscient. They're trying to be omnipotent. They're trying to be God. Right. Right. With, with, um, going back to the, the, you know, you shall not boil a kid, a baby goat in its mother's milk, that the instrument that God gave to be nourishment and life should not be used as an instrument of death. With that, you know, you gave the example of women in combat, fantastic example. An another one that I I've actually used pastorally is uh, that same verse, the, the kid and, um, and, and the, uh, the mother's milk in terms of, um, the hormone, hormonal, uh, birth control pill. Um, there's a difference, um, you know, in a condom, there's a difference um, in, in planned abstinence um, uh, periodically. There's, there's a difference in stopping an egg from being fertilized versus the birth um, hormonal birth control pill, which has three primary functions, but, but the third being uh, that actually thins the uterine wall. It takes so, so if a woman is meant to nurture, a woman's womb is meant to be a, a context of conducive to creating life, sustaining life, giving life. Um, and so to take that womb and make it a death chamber. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so I, I would look at that. So I'm, I'm asking you, is, is that fair use to say uh, yeah. this is why there, there may be other ethical forms of, of, of planning um, in terms of, of children, um, but this is not one of them. And this is why. Correct. The womb is a living room for the unborn. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a living room <laughs> okay, for the gotcha. unborn. Gotcha. Right? But I'm um, and. Uh, it, and it's it's designed by God to be a place of hospitality. Right. It's designed by God to be a a bed. Mm. Right? We just had these uh, awful murders here in Moscow where these college students right. were murdered in their beds, mm. which is a terrible place to be murdered. Right? right? It's never good to be murdered anywhere. But there's there's a particular grievousness mm. about being murdered in a place where you ought to be, if there's, if there's any place on earth where you ought to be safe, it's in your own bed, mm -hmm. right? right. Uh, and what these abortion pills do is they turn that uh, living room into a death chamber. They turn the, the, the bed that ought to be hospitable and welcoming into a place that's inhospitable and unwelcoming. Mm -hmm. and, and yes, and I would cite that verse in a decision like that. Right, and there's multiple verses that we could cite, and but but that would be one one verse that we right. could use in a general equity fashion. Fantastic. Right. Any any final thoughts for our listeners, Pastor Doug? No, this is going to be a rodeo. Um, the, over the next five years, I believe that we are going to see a lot of conflict, a lot of excitement, a lot of misunderstanding, mm -hmm. and I would just tell your your viewers, your listeners, to not lose their tempers, keep cool. Love God, worship don't, Him. Don't read take your the Bible. bait. Don't take the bait. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very and helpful. And, and, and going back, circling back around to the kinest problem, mm -hmm. don't don't go for quick fixes, cheap solutions. Mm. Um, the kind of thing that we need. The the only way out for us is Christ. It's Christ or chaos. It's not white people or chaos. Mm. It's Christ or chaos. Amen. Amen. Well said. Um, well, thank you so much, as always, for coming on the show. Um, I know that our listeners and myself uh, personally benefit immensely from your ministry, your writing, your preaching, all those kinds of things. And uh, we pray that uh, for this 
roller coaster over the next five years. Uh, we pray that uh, even if it's a roller coaster for 15 years, that you would be on the roller coaster with us. We'd like to have you on yeah. the ride. So, <laughs> yeah, thanks. So keep it thanks. up. Thanks so much for listening. But real quick, before you go, do us a small favor, take a moment, and leave us a five star review if you enjoyed the show. This is undoubtedly the best way that you can help us get this biblically faithful content to as many people as possible. Thanks so much.